0: Good morning, Moody Church. Ed Stetzer is my name. For those of you who might be guests, I serve here as interim teaching pastor, and I'm happy to be able to open God's Word today. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter six. If you're a regular attender, you will know that we are walking through the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Bill took us through the verses before this, and now we're continuing through the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Pastor Bill kind of finished up for us the Lord's Prayer focus, and. The Lord's Prayer Focus is kind of a parenthetical insertion to actually three things that Jesus was talking about that were evidences of traditional Jewish piety. I'm going to get to those. I'm going to walk through those together. Today, we're going to look at how outward religion without inward relationship leaves you dead inside. We're going to talk about spiritual deadness that comes from being religious for others' eyes rather than for our Father's eyes. Of course, it is Father's Day, and I join with our team here in wishing you a uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, today, when I go home, I will expect my daughters to have gathered together around the piano where they will sing to me, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I will respond to them, that's what I am. That's what I am. That's what I am. Because today is the day, I told them last night, tomorrow's all about me, kids. And then I realized how horrible that sounded. Uh, But I do recognize that the other 364 days a year, we have a name for those in my house. We call those Mother's Days. And so this is my one day. And so I'm going to enjoy it greatly. And so, uh, but again, we're going to talk today about fatherhood that kind of ties into Father's Day. Because really, this whole section for the last few weeks, now again, if maybe you just started attending Moody Church four or five weeks ago, you know we've been walking through the, uh, the Lord's prayer, the disciples' model prayer, really. Our Father in heaven, uh, your name be holy. You know, it goes on from there. Uh, you, you know, our, 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 your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Pastor Bill finished up last week with, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Actually verses 14, excuse me, verses 14 and 15, I covered two weeks ago. So we're going right now down to verse 16 which really is a continuation of the theme that you may have, again, if you've only been coming five or six weeks, you might have missed that we actually are in the midst of a section with three main ways that people in that day would sort of show their piety, their commitment to God. Right, the first one, and you can actually see that if you have your Bible, it starts in Chapter 6, verse 1, it's, it's what we call almsgiving or giving, right? And so Jesus says to give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is giving so you can give and be rewarded by your Father who's in secret. And then after that, he talks about prayer. This is in verses 5 and 6. When you pray, you don't want to pray like the hypocrites, he says, uh, because they love to pray standing in front of others. So he says instead, pray in your prayer closet and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So then Jesus kind of takes a little digression and He walks us through a model prayer that we've… we've dug deep into that for the last six weeks. But then we come back to the… really the… the theme in the outline that Jesus is speaking and He talks about almsgiving, He's talked about prayer, and now He's talking about fasting. Now those were three markers, key markers, if not the key markers of Jewish piety. So Jesus, who was teaching to an audience of followers who were Jews and, and, and would know these things, He walks them through almsgiving or giving, He walks them through prayer, kind of goes to a, explain also a model prayer, but then He comes back to this case, the third way of exercising Jewish piety, which is fasting. Now, these three things, everybody would have known that these are the big three that you do if you're a pious Jew in that day. So again, we return to the pattern here of verses 2 through 4, verses 5 and 6. You don't do this in front of others. Do this in secret. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 18, following the same pattern. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, if you've been with us more than 10 weeks, you recognize this pattern. This is the pattern that Jesus has given around almsgiving and the pattern he's given around prayer, is that don't do it for others' benefit so they might see, but do it so your Father might see in secret and reward you in secret. Now, why does that matter? because it's talking about the heart. It's talking about the heart, and we're continuing to see here how Jesus speaks in the third major religious practice of the day, that is fasting. Again, the other two were giving and prayer. But Jesus again moves from how we should fast, but on a deeper level, he addresses authenticity and humility of a Christ follower, as opposed to the hypocrisy of religious Self righteousness. Now, a few definitions. Fasting is abstaining uh, from food, or really it could be other things as well, which is a good gift of God. And, and for the sake of some prayer or some spiritual purpose or some intercession, it's pretty uh, countercultural, right? This is Desiring God website puts it this way it's markedly countercultural in our consumerist society, right? And so the picture we get is is that fasting is where we abstain. We typically think of food, but it can be other things. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say you should fast for a blank number of days, right? That's something an individual will decide. Uh, But it is interesting that it does say when you fast, not if you fast. So when you fast. So there's an assumption that there would be fasting. Though ironically, Jesus' disciples actually don't fast much in the New Testament. But the early Christians did. A few weeks ago I mentioned a very early Christian document called the Didache, and I talked about it re- related to the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And uh, the Didache also has a fascinating reference to three times fasting. So fasting is something that early Christians practiced and maybe has sort of waned in our own practice over time. Now you say, Ed, do you, do you fast? I do. I do. Obviously not a lot, but I do actually fast. Um, so, for example, I remember making a decision, a significant decision of a life change. It actually was taking a new ministry role. And I took a season and I fasted and abstained from food for 21 days, just seeking the Lord, saying, God, I needed your clarity. I often will teach… A lot of what I have done historically is I train and teach church planters, right? So we've been involved in, at the Moody Church the Chicago Church Planting Partnership, and sometimes a church planter will come to me and say, how do I know? if God's calling me to plant a church, and if so, where? And very frequent advice that I will give to that church planter is to take the time to get away and to fast and pray until you have clarity. I will tell you, it's a remarkably mind-clearing exercise, but more importantly, a remarkably spirit-focused exercise as well. When you put aside times for meals and instead make them times for prayer, what happens is, is that it becomes a way that God uses to help me grow closer to Him, to guide me in significant decisions. matter of fact, let's take a look. In Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, it says this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is the church at Antioch, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. We mainly know him as Paul. His name was changed later. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We've done days of prayer and fasting here at Moody Church and more. So fasting is kind of a regular practice for many Christians, and some of the early Christians would fast on Wednesday and Friday, but but I don't think there's a legalistic connection between the two. It's an opportunity to grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. So this whole section, however, this is what I don't want you to miss. All of this chapter, all the way back to chapter 6, verse 1, is building upon chapter five, right? This is why we love going through books of the Bible, right? It's building on chapter five of a greater righteousness. So what Matthew is writing, recording Jesus' words, is Jesus is telling us, don't just do these things for outer appearance, do them for a deeper relationship with God. This whole section is about, and this is my outline, right motivation, a genuine authenticity, and a clear reward for sincere faith. So what we're going to do, we're going to address fasting, we already have, but really because next week we're going to go into a new section which talks about God and possessions, and then after that talks about worry. So we've got some really wonderful things coming up to challenge us scripturally, but this is the end of the section of these three things that goes all the way back to the beginning of chapter 6, right? So again, it's about the right motivation, a genuine authenticity, and a clear reward for sincere faith. So again, almsgiving prayer with a big parenthesis in the middle with the Lord's Prayer, and fasting has been all of chapter 6, which reminds us again, we're going to see that outward religion without inward relationship leaves you dead inside. So let's take a look and begin our outline. I've already kind of told you what it is. We're going to look at these three words, motivation, authenticity, right? Motivation, authenticity are going to be key, and then we're going to look at reward. So let's take a look at number one in our outline. You can take notes if you're so inclined. Motivation is prideful and insincere faith, is consumed with selfish motives. Remember, this whole section, all the way back to the beginning of chapter 6, is about right motivation, genuine authenticity, and a clear reward for sincere faith, right? Remember, again, outward religion without an inward relationship leaves you dead inside. So Jesus then launches in to the third of these practices of piety, and he says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Now, the key phrase that we've seen in all three of these examples of piety is seen by others, seen by others. Another key phrase is, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, again, what's going on here is there's a uh, desire to look religious, not to live a godly life. And so Jesus speaks against this. He cautions them about a better way. He says, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They love to disfigure their faces. Now, in just a moment, what we're going to find out is, is that they, they, they didn't uh, anoint your head, in other words, put oil, anoint your head with oil, and wash your face. Now, instead, They would live in such a way that they looked like they were fasting. Now, why does that matter? Well, first of all, I mean, this is kind of at this point, nobody looks like they're fasting today because everybody knows this verse. Right? So anyone starts fasting, uh, if you ask them, and and thank God for when they do, if you ask them, why aren't you having lunch? Everybody knows this verse now. But remember, 2,000 years ago, this was a different time. Now you'd be like, no, you know, I'm good. I'm I'm just not… I'm not hungry. And you're like, I am so, so hungry right now. Right? I would eat leather off a shoe if I could have the opportunity to do so. But everyone knows this verse now. So, so you have to take just a moment and do what, uh, what's called a hermeneutic bridge. Can you say those words with me? It's hermeneutic bridge. Let's say it together. Hermeneutic bridge. Now you're saying, who's this hermeneutics? He's uh, it's a nice guy. Okay, hermeneutics. Is kind of how we understand biblical interpretation. Now, to do this, and many times in the Bible, we need to go across the hermeneutic bridge. Okay, so the hermeneutic bridge starts in the text, and it asks the question, what did this mean to the original hearers? Okay, don't miss this, right? So it starts with, what did this mean to the original hearers? And then the bridge goes over the top of the bridge. Think of it as, a, as in your mental image. Top of the bridge is, what's the universal underlying principle? OK, what did this mean to the original hearers? What's the universal underlying principle? And the other side of the bridge is today. How do we apply this today? Now, now that's the bridge, right? Let's say it again. Are you ready, hermeneutic bridge? Here we go, hermeneutic bridge. Try to work that into a conversation with a friend this week as you have the opportunity. But this will help you, because for many of us today, we're thinking, okay, we know this verse, nobody's going to not look like, no one's going to make themselves look pathetic when they're fasting, because, you know, nothing else about fasting, you probably know this verse. But back then, 2,000 years ago, this was obviously an issue. But the bigger issue is all of chapter 6, right? The bigger issue is outward religion without inner relationship leaves you dead inside. So we go across this bridge and it's don't, well, so the obvious application is, but I think everybody gets that, is don't look like you're fasting when you're fasting. But here's the bigger issue. It's Matthew 23, verse 28, right? So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is a theme that Jesus uses over and over again. Remember we talked about whitewashed tombs a few weeks ago. They look really nice on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones? Those are Jesus' strong words. Why? Because outward religion without inner relationship leaves you dead inside. You're basically a nice marble tombstone with filled with dead men's bones. So again, the bigger issue is, and the hermeneutic bridge is so you also outwardly appear righteous to others. And that's what we're trying to do, right? Look at me, I'm fasting, I'm holier than you. Now, if you don't think that still there are people 2,000 years later without the fasting part who will go around saying, look at me, I'm holier than you, you have not been paying attention to church enough. Because there are people who act that way all the time. In fact, sometimes I find myself tempted to act that way. I find myself tempted to look more godly than I actually am, and I bet you do as well. And when that's the case, we're not living as Christ called us to. And on the other end of that hermeneutic bridge, that's the application for us. In other words, it's all about appearance, and sometimes it's about religious appearance, right? We dress for church. We bring our Bible, but maybe we almost killed each other on the way to church in the car arguing. Some of you are just poke somebody, and I'm not pointing you out. Like, he's talking about you, brother. Um, So hypocrites trade long-term spiritual growth for earthly recognition, right? They would highlight their fasting to appear pious. And so across the hermeneutic bridge, this isn't the sin that we might do specifically, but across that hermeneutic bridge, what do we do? We try to look righteous rather than actually being righteous. And Jesus is calling us to a greater righteousness. He's calling us to a greater righteousness. Again, outward religion without inward relationship. Leaves you dead inside. Now again, there's a kind of obscure passage that I think helps us with this, though. It's Jeremiah 2.13. And this is a tendency, right? Let's take the hermeneutic bridge from Jeremiah's time, right? Centuries before the New Testament is written. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. Okay, there's one, right? The fountain of living waters and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Now, what does this obscure verse have to do with us today? Again, let's go across the hermeneutic bridge, right? God is the fountain of living waters. In the New Testament, Jesus says, speaks of himself as the living water that you'll never have to thirst again. So instead, have forsaken the living waters and instead have hewed out cisterns. Cisterns were places that we uh, would gather and store and then receive water. So instead of receiving and drinking deeply on the inward relationship, we create cisterns for ourselves that can hold no water. Outward religion is a broken cistern that can hold no long-term spiritual water. So outward religion without inward relationship leaves you dead inside, and it goes back. For millennia, this is a problem of God's people, and we ought not to be so uh, surprised that it's a problem for us today. See, what's your cistern? Where are you getting your validation? Well, then they were getting their validation from the idea that others would see them. Instead of an authentic walk in Jesus, can I just tell you, this is really key. It is far easier to look righteous. It's far easier to look godly than to actually Be godly. So we often choose the lesser of the two because it's easier. And there's there's ways you learn, right? You gotta learn to you gotta learn certain ways that you look, and you gotta gotta learn to carry your Bible, you gotta learn to, to look concerned about sin and happy about righteousness. And but your heart isn't necessarily changed. An outward religion without any relationship leaves you dead inside. So we started with, right, very clearly, it's about right motivation, genuine authenticity, and a clear, a clear reward for sincere faith, lead just to number two, is authenticity, right? Motivations first, prideful and insincere faith is consumed with selfish motives. Look at me. Number two is authenticity. Humble and authentic faith places the focus on God's glory, So remember, this whole section, all of chapter 6, we're literally going back 10 weeks because we went on this long series through the Lord's Prayer, but this whole section is about right motivation, genuine authenticity, and a clear and sincere faith. We're going to get to that in a minute, but I'm walking you through the fasting section, recapping the whole section as well. So look at what it says in the next part of the verse. Now, but when you fast, not if, but when, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Now, again, this here requires us to do the hermeneutic bridge. Uh, For example, what does it mean to anoint your head? Uh, Most of you here, though not all of you here, actually come from customs or cultures where you don't anoint your head, but that's not always the case. So, for some of you, anointing your head seems like a strange concept. For others of you, like, yeah, I get that. Why the distinction between the two? Because then what they would do is, is one way to, to keep yourself looking, looking fabulous is to kind of anoint with oil your hair. Now, if you didn't do that, your hair would kind of be a mess, and you'd look, uh, you know, haggard, and you'd look tired, and you'd look unkempt, and And so, what they would do is when they were fasting, they'd quit putting the oil uh, in their hair. Now, why is that the case? Because they wanted the attention drawn to themselves. So, instead, Jesus says, Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. Matter of fact, let's put that section of the verse back up one more time. Uh, Here it is, right here. So, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father in secret. By now you heard that phrase in some variant three times, right? So don't miss this. Not seen by men, but seen by God. That's the contrast, right? It's not about other people thinking you're religious. It's about you knowing Jesus and being changed by the power of the gospel. And our outward person during fasting should point to the reality that we're not drawing attention to ourselves, Right? So, washing your face, putting oil in your hair or your beard uh, was a sign of being okay. It it was not in trauma or crisis and and not drawing attention to oneself. Now, here's the thing I don't want you to miss. Jesus is talking about a kind of Christian faith that is not outward but is so beautifully inward because I don't want you to miss this, right? Because again, it is easier to look godly than to actually be godly. And the reality is, is God calls us to a different and a better way throughout this whole section. Look at Philippians 1.27. It says, let the manner of life, not, not because you look religious, let the manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I pray. And I pray as a pastor that stands before you on a regular basis that I just don't look godly or talk a good godly game, but God has changed me. Christ indwells me. His Spirit fills me, and my life is changed because of that. But it's easier to look godly than to actually be godly. That's why this whole section, and really back to chapter 5, remember even back to the days we talked about adultery, but, but thinking on someone in a lustful way is like that, or murder, but hating someone is like that? Jesus is calling people to a greater righteousness. Now, I'm not using the word righteousness the same way Paul does later, where righteousness comes as a gift from God because of Jesus' death on the cross for our sin and in our place, but he's talking about not looking godly but actually being godly. Now again, look at Isaiah 43, 7. This is his intent, his desire. Everyone who's called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made, his desire is that we would be people who give glory to God by the way that we live. But outward religion, without inward relationship, leaves you dead inside. So instead, Jesus gives us three key words, right? Motivation, authenticity, and reward. Motivation, authenticity, and reward, which leads us to uh, the third point on our outline today. It's reward. Humble and authentic faith is rewarded by our Father who gives us good things. See, when you care about your Father's reward, not about the motivation of pride and insincere faith, but instead you're humble, not bringing attention to yourself but to the Lord, then your humble and authentic faith is rewarded by our Father who gives good things. Here's what it says that, right? And your Father in heaven, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now again, remember too, I'm asking you to think through the whole chapter, not just the fasting section, as I'm trying to summarize the whole chapter, right? This is it right here. So we, Jesus said this about giving. He said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Why? So your father who sees in secret will reward you. About praying, don't babble on like the pagans do, by no mother many words, but pray in your prayer closet. Why? So your father who sees in secret will reward you. And now, about fasting, don't do it so others see it. So your father who sees in secret will reward you. What's the theme of chapter 6? Your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when we get that, it changes everything. So, today's Father's Day, um, and, and uh, I actually, you know, I mentioned I love Father's Day not just because I make my children sing my new favorite song on this day, but I love Father's Day because 20 years ago, on Father's Day, I became a father. So my daughter was born on Father's Day. So the day before Father's Day, I was not a father. On Father's Day, I was a father, and uh, first time. And, um, they didn't come with instructions. I really think that someone should have provided some instructions. Because now I have three daughters, and as of today and for three more days, they're all, they're all teenagers, so you can just fast and pray for me uh, right now. <laughs> three teenage daughters at the same time. On the other hand, I know that my oldest daughter turns 20. By the way, I give my, my children give me permission, so don't, don't like write me letters. My children give me permission to share Example: They've charged me, but they give me permission to share <laughs> illustrations. This one's a low-impact one, so five bucks for this. Um, the embarrassing ones, they're quite good negotiators. Um, so, my daughter in three days turns uh, 20, and so she's no longer a teenager. I, I have mixed feelings even about that because when I was 20, I was married. I don't want anyone to think about that. Um, and so, so, but to think about uh, fatherhood, it's so much about um, about trust, and it's not. I will tell you uh, again. I wish they came with instructions because being a dad's the hardest thing I've ever done, but also the most rewarding thing I've ever done. I still remember in our backyard. We lived, moved here from Nashville two years ago, and uh, my daughters are kind of all Southerners. I'm a I'm a New Yorker uh, by uh, grew up there, and a Northerner more so. So, but my, my daughters grew up in the South, so they they say uh, things like. Uh, y'all, and sometimes fixin', and then I punish them for that because (laughs) fixin' is not a word, and I'm fixing to show them that. Uh, But um, I don't know where along the way, but they picked up a little thing that still often when I walk through the door, now they're 13, 16, and 19, when I walk through the door, they all shout, Daddy's home! And I love hearing, Daddy's home! Now, now, they learned. I mean, they call me Daddy till probably they were, I don't even know, till they were teenagers. And, and then around their friends, they speak about my dad or my father. But around the house, I'm still Daddy. And I still today expect when I walk in the door that they'll shout, Daddy's home. But uh, the, the word Daddy is something that I've heard a lot and I love to hear. And, uh, and, and one of the things that I still remember, Kristen, who will turn 20 this week, she, uh, we built in Tennessee this little swing set in our backyard. We we wanted to invite the neighbors over, and, and so our, our, our little swing set in the backyard became the neighborhood swing set. But it, it has a little step. You'd go. It doesn't have it anymore. It's gone now, but it, has a little, it had a little stair thing. You'd go up to it, and then there'd be this little platform, and there was this slide. And you know, it was built like playgrounds are today. When I was a kid, playgrounds were like 18 foot tall with concrete on the bottom. And you didn't, you know, it's, <laughs> we raised strong kids then uh, with a lot of hospitalization visits. Um, but now, you know, it goes up to this little, you climb up the ladder to this little stand, but it's all, like, secure. But, but Kristen found a way that she would be able to jump from that into my arms. And I don't even know how old she was, three or four years old, but maybe a little bit older. But, but she would get up there and she'd say, Daddy, Daddy. And, and, I, and I knew what that meant. As soon as I heard the word Daddy, it meant, I'm going to jump in your arms. And, and I loved it, but sometimes she would say it and not give me time to turn around. <laughs> so it was like this sudden, you know, 40-pound thing hits you on the back. And I'm like, oh, let me catch you, ah! <laughs> but she had a full and complete confidence that I could catch her no matter the circumstances. To her, I was an NFL wide receiver, and she was the football. I had gloves with sticky hands, and I could just go, boom, catch that child. Here you go. Here's my kid. Because she had a complete confidence in me as her father. Now, she's since learned that I don't have the ability to catch her at her current size. and <laughs> my current age. Um, but she knows, and I still have, I still tell her, I have a unique set of skills. Uh, but catching her is not that skill anymore. But she just had this faith that her father could be relied upon and trusted. And she'd say things like, Daddy, and then there would become the jump, and I would catch her. Why? Because I knew that we had this bond, that I was her father. She could count on me, and she knew that, I could, that, that she could count on me. And so in that sense, when we understand rightly what a father is, I didn't have that growing up. But we understand rightly who a father is, we understand that our father will reward us in secret when we cast ourselves upon him, not strutting around looking righteous, but saying, Father… Abba, I love you, and jumping into his loving arms. Outward religion without an inner, inner, inward relationship leaves you dead inside, but a loving father in whose arms you cling changes everything. But I also remember, for all three daughters, they always had this phrase, and I don't know, I guess all kids do, um, whenever we'd sit outside, um, Daddy, watch this. Now, sometimes that involved things that children would get hurt doing, right? Like, hey, Daddy, watch this. Like, no, 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 don't do that. But they just wanted their father to see and love them. And I want you to know that's what a father's supposed to be like. Some of us, like me, grew up where we didn't have a father that we could say, watch this to. But I want you not to miss this. Your father who sees in secret is watching. Don't feel the need or the necessity to look religious. Instead, dwell in his loving relationship. Because here's why, right? If you don't, he'll oppose you. James 4, 6 says, therefore, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you walk around like you're religious and without a relationship with your father, God will literally oppose you. Or instead, you can be welcomed into his gracious arms. Look at Psalm 116, verse 5. It says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. See, an authentic faith, a humble faith, cannot live in us in and of ourselves. We have to, we have to actually die to the pretense of religious show and live with Christ's authenticity and the humility that he gives us. But I don't want you to miss this. You got to die to looking religious and live for loving Jesus. Don't miss that. Look at what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19, he says this, For though the law, through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Quit trying to look religious and love Jesus, right? I have been crucified with Christ. you got to die, right? I no longer, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Don't miss the beauty of that. Now, if you're here today and you don't don't know what it means to, to love Jesus, I don't want you to come to this historic, beautiful church with a long, beautiful history. And I don't want you to think, I've got to somehow live up and measure up to the religiousness of this room or this people or this history. Because you don't. Because you can't. See, what we do as followers of Jesus here is we come in imperfect, humbled. Yeah, sometimes we kind of, there's a part of us that wants to strut and look religious. But outward religion without inward relationship really leaves you dead inside. And if you're here today or worshiping with us online, I have a message I don't want you to miss. The Father is going to watch you. And if you don't know him, you can jump into his arms. He'll give you the grace even to respond to him. Don't miss that. See, when we're adopted as sons and daughters, right, we don't need to fight for our glory, but be humble and authentic in the practice of our faith because it's for God's glory, not ours. This whole section is about the right motivation, a genuine authenticity, and a clear reward for sincere faith. Can I ask you to say outward religion just isn't worth it? The reward that you get by looking religious. It exists, it's real, Jesus talks about it. It's just not worth the reward that Jesus promises as you jump into the arms of a loving father and you have that loving, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So I want to invite you today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, just in the quietness of this moment, to respond to him. Because the reality is, is that for some, you've thought that what you needed was more religion in your life. i got to tell you, you don't need more religion. You need Jesus. And he gives us a message today that even the most religious are dead inside without a relationship with Jesus. Would you take just a moment and pray with me? Father, I pray today that you might indeed speak to all of us gathered here today about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Before I get to anything else, just with your head bowed and your eyes closed this morning, I wanna ask you, if you're, if you're here today, and maybe you're tired of trying to look religious on Sunday without knowing Jesus every day. He died on the cross for your sin and in your place. I wanna invite you today to trust and follow him if you've not done that before. I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Just others around you are praying. People got their heads bowed, their eyes closed, or others around you are praying. But I want you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, you're not sure to give up religion and know him in relationship. Just if that's the prayer of your heart, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Pray with me. Father, just silently to the Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to forgive me of trying to look good. And instead i acknowledge that i'm a sinner and i'm in need of your grace and jesus i receive you as lord and savior i trust you as a loving loving savior father i believe you as my loving father and i receive jesus into my heart this day father i pray for those who just prayed with me lord that in the quietness even of this moment that you might indeed speak to them about what it means to be a follower of jesus and while others are still around you have their head bowed and their eyes closed can i ask you if you prayed that prayer with me just a moment ago can i ask you to do something right now it's going to take just 15 seconds of old audacious courage but i want to ask you to do something if you prayed that prayer with me the first time just a moment ago i want to ask you right now just put your hand up for just a second say i prayed that with you pastor i prayed that with you i see your hand yep yep several of you praying that prayer today praise god in the balcony i see that as well Put your hands down for just a second father i pray for those who just raised their hands several across this room lord jesus as they have indicated they've trusted and followed you i pray you give them courage to share that today to begin a journey with us imperfect people not trying to look religious at moody church but just seeking to love jesus and to rest in the view of a loving father just take a moment stand with me father as we stand together i pray that that you might, as we worship you Lord, as we ask you to be our vision, that you might indeed speak to us and through us. While you're standing, I'm gonna ask this time our prayer partners to come. Prayer partners, I want you to come and stand in your place right now, prayer partners, please come now. Because as you notice, if you just raised your hand with me, you notice prayer partners, are you coming? Please come right now, prayer partners. As the prayer partners are coming forward, I want you to notice them in different places, right? Because as you see them coming here, there'll be somebody here in just a moment, there's others coming here. If you raised your hand just a minute ago, I wanna ask you to do something that is, is maybe bold for you, but God's gonna give you the strength I want to ask you to come, and I want you to come to our prayer partners here or our prayer partners down here. You'll see them with their name tags. You saw them moving a minute ago, and I want you to come and say, I trusted Jesus with Pastor Ed. I want you to pray with me. And then we can help begin that spiritual journey for you so you can be like that one who loves his father and jumps into his arms. That's what you've done today. And he's there. We want to rejoice with you. But don't leave here today without coming and telling somebody, I've met Jesus. If you say you're a long way from somebody, take your time. We'll we'll just come on down here. We're going to sing because we need still this in our lives. Because it's not about us. It's not about how we look. It's about who God is. And we're going to sing Be Thou My Vision. It's a song that speaks about what it means to make the focus of our lives God and who He is. So if you trusted Christ just a moment ago, I want you right now to begin to start working your way to some of our prayer partners different places. And just come now while we sing. For everyone else, let's make sure our vision is focused on the Lord Jesus. Would you sing with us today? Let's sing together.